May I please have your full and undivided attention? It is time for the Paranormal Rundown. Hello, this is Cedric Dankwell-Smythe. I'd like to welcome all fans of the paranormal, the unusual, the slightly off-kilter, the frightening, the terrifying, the horrifying, and simply the occasionally entertaining. This is the Paranormal Rundown. There's no place else like it. The ever-growing list of paranormal topics is now at 2,360 topics. Tonight we're going to be covering the Foreign Accent Syndrome. We're going to be talking about Om Seti, the British woman who became the world's best Egyptologist. We'll be talking about epigenetics, the 100th Monkey Syndrome, count them 100, and the Smiley Face Killers, as well as other murder cults throughout history. It'll be a smashing time. And of course, the gang of nerds being who they are, there will be several dozen side topics, all of which will be attacked with astounding gusto. Hello all, and welcome back to the Paranormal Rundown, episode 16. And though we are at least currently missing the esteemed Father Birdsong, we have a special guest, Dr. Bert, who has appeared not only on Victor's Trailer Trash Terrors, but also on my own podcast, Southern Demonology. He is a psychiatrist and esteemed poetic soul. And who has a lot of extremely deep insights. That's why he has been on both of our podcasts. We love to hear his thoughts on the world. And what better forum or venue could you ever ask for with all of the rabbit holes and random thoughts that we tend to have on this particular podcast in which to showcase his amazing strengths and poeticness. So, Bert, welcome. How are you doing today? Thank you, uh, JJ. Um, I, I'm doing fine. Um, still recovering from all the nice words you say, and uh, um, <laughs> I'm not sure if I will uh, be able to, to to match those in real. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> No. Well, that's what I like to Indeed. do. I like to set an extremely high bar. What can I say? Yeah. Well, the the positive thing of setting the bar really high is that you walk under it, so you don't have to jump or Ooh. or stumble across it. See, there's the poet. So, there's the poet. Okay. Well, Bert, you know the rules of the rundown, and I mean, essentially, the first rule of the rundown is there are no rules of the rundown, but there is a general structure, and the general structure is we have a large Excel spreadsheet, which now has 2,340 topics <clears throat> in it. Growing and every episode. 
during every episode because I find new things and I put them in there. And there's there is some overlap, of course. You don't, but it covers directly paranormal topics, uh, ghosts, demons, cryptids, all that kind of stuff. It covers odd biblical topics. It covers odd social topics. So it's getting to be a pretty big compendium of of uh, ideas. And it's, it's a good way of getting a, a conversation started. And all we do is we bring the spreadsheet up, I press the F9 key for a minute, and then at some random point, I let go. And um, we go with whatever we've got. If you, we have somebody who wants specifically to talk about something, then we talk about that. If we come up with a, a set of topics that just really um, stinks, we can get another set of topics just by hitting F9. So our, um, well, I our would first... say that's pretty in general. That's what we do. We all come on and we let go. Yep. Let go. So the first set of topics, the first set of six topics is topic number one, atheism in all of its forms. Number two, foreign accent syndrome. Number three, Spiders in the big hairdo. Deadly spiders in the big hairdo. Number four, trains hitting school buses. And the uh, sequelae thereof. Topic number five, historical photos of vampires or supposed immortals. And topic number six, ghost in the machine as a concept. Often, if there's a really great topic, somebody says, I want to jump right on that. Does anybody feel anything about these, positive or negative? What do you think, Bert? Does anything stand out to you? Yeah. The, the second one is foreign. Foreign accent syndrome. Accent syndrome. Mm-hmm. What's that? Is it foreign accent syndrome? Is when I've I've heard about two forms of it. One of them is after a head injury. Uh, blunt head trauma. Somebody will wake up from a period of time with a coma and they will find themselves speaking in a perfect British or Dutch or French uh, yeah. accent, which to me is a pretty fascinating thing. And I've also heard about it happening after um, just psychological trauma. And, and dementia is also... Uh, oh, oh, with dementia. Seems, yeah. 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 Well, I was thinking about Schwarzenegger, but it's uh, that's another. Uh... <laughs> that would be a foreign um, accent. If I suddenly I started talking in in full on Schwarzenegger speak, that would be a, that would be appropriate. Pete Holmes does a phenomenal sound of his, and he has entire bits in which that's all he does. In fact, there's a a famous skit in which um, he's doing an infomercial for accent be gone and he's talking just like a regular american would and then it begins to lose its effect then you start to hear the rare speak through and it's just <laughs> hilarious it's really good <laughs> we so, need to acquire a subject <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well i i like ideas ideas like the foreign accent syndrome because it it gets across the point to me of how much of the brain brain mind interface we just don't really understand at all i i mean i assume that i talk the way i talk because of well some of it's been conscious decisions 
but mostly it's been the people that I've grown up around. I, I, I follow their way of speaking. I remember, uh, Victor, that you you said in an earlier podcast that you had this this example that you wanted to sound like a certain person. Absolutely, I was growing up in Converse, Louisiana, which was well, I mean, man, it's about as redneck as it could get. And wh what what wasn't redneck was angry Cajun, and I can just remember how aggressive the, the speech was and it, it scared me sometimes i'd be listening to these people talk and it was you could just tell how angry they were <clears throat> and i decided that i didn't want to talk like that so what i based my speech patterns on was walter cronkite who was the the cbs news anchor at night every night walter cronkite would come on and he would he'd, he'd say the news he'd read the news and he was the best that the United States has ever created. Had a very precise way. He was created. What did you say, Burr? He was created. Yes, he was. Like a cardinal. <laughs> created cardinal. Well, he, he would have been a cardinal. He had a very precise way of speaking. He was, there was really no accent at all in, in what he said. And Bertie would do things like for the uh, Apollo 13 moon mission, which went bad. You know, they had something blow up on the ship. And the question was, are these guys going to get back home? And it was not clear that they were going to get back home. And so as far as I know, he stayed up for three days following this. <laughs> and every time a piece of news would come in, He'd go down and say things like, we just heard from NASA that the oxygen tank is now at 25%. <clears throat> so he started off looking all, you know, corporate and suit and tie. And by day three, he's got a t-shirt on. <laughs> 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 yeah, but, but it didn't matter. But So anyway, this has to do with why we speak the way we speak. It would be interesting to see in, in documented cases of this whether the foreign accent is true to the actual country or culture it came from or true to our perception of that accent, right? Because it's different. It, it, you, you have ways that you think somebody speaks or you may sound like if you practice speaking like them, and that's not quite the same as the true accent of that culture. Well, you're right. So are we are these people speaking as if they've truly inherited that part of an Italian brain or a French brain or a Japanese brain or something? Or are they just mimicking what they've heard somewhere in the past? Right. So mimicking what they've heard in the past could imply that this is a uh, a part of their brain that's remembering something and applying it to them right, to their speech pattern, whereas a true accent of a specific area in a region they've never been to or listened to would be something they could not have pulled out of their own memories. And therefore, maybe they're tapping into something else, something that is universal in how 
the brain works and people work and people function, sort of like that universal library we talk about, right? The, mm-hmm. the memory mm-hmm. is elsewhere or the body is a conduit for it. And, you know, maybe they opened a different chapter in a wrong book and now they're emulating that story as opposed to something they've physically run into before. I don't know, but I wonder if this, la- if this lasts for the remainder of their life, or if it's a period of time, then they go back to speaking the way they normally speak. Or if they get knocked upside the head again, they switch languages. <laughs> <laughs> you just, no, Spanish. Span- oh, okay. Good. <laughs> the next week, oh, Russian. I know that. <laughs> well, it, well, it's like Fred Flintstone. I mean, the Flintstones are similar. The TV trope at the time was somebody gets bang, knocked up the head, and they don't remember anything. And then the way you get their memories back is later on you have to they have to be knocked up the head again. Well, language is a very complicated. Very. It's very complicated, and I have this colleague, and she's she's coming from the Ukraine, and well, she she learned and Dutch and English, and we're helping Ukraine people, and what happened is that she translates for me, but she does it in English and uh, but then I give her an answer and then she translated to the person in, in, in the Ukraine and she starts talking Dutch to that person and and she didn't even realize it only after I'm saying well you're telling this in Dutch and she said oh right because she the switching <laughs> very uh was very difficult for her oh yeah i've i've seen that same phenomenon my wife and i whenever we go to japan uh we'll be speaking in english and then she will turn to say the waiter if we're at a restaurant and she'll begin speaking in english to them even though she knows she should be in Japanese. I'll have to remind her. She goes, oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Uh, or if uh, same thing, or she'll turn and start speaking in uh, Mandarin Chinese to them, even though that's kind of a big no-no. And that's a whole nother can of worms I won't get into. It's a big no-no because they don't want people speaking Chinese in Japan. No, uh, the it's not so much that. It's the opposite. It's that there are still plenty of establishments in China that abhor Japanese and actually oh, have okay. signs mm-hmm. out saying, you know, no Japanese welcome here. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah, because of the the Sino-Japanese war. The the history of what happened in World War II. Yep. In fact, when there was contention um, in the North China Sea over a piece of land, I stood outside of a Japanese embassy and watched a silent protest in Japan, whereas in China, they were burning Japanese factories to the ground. So, very marked response. Have you seen the test that they will do for people sometimes where, and I, there's a name for it, but I don't know the name, but you have to do these tests rapidly and it'll be a, a blue dot or it will be the word green shown in blue. And you're supposed to say either the color or the word, but people's brains get all mixed up. 
and they'll end up saying the color instead of the word or the word instead of the color. I, I know I do it. You know, when I'm if I have to concentrate very, very hard to give them exactly what they want, because my brain is keying, I guess, on the color rather than what, what the actual word says. Have you have you seen those? Oh, yeah. I have. Yeah. Yeah. They're tricky. Yeah. Yeah. They're very, very tricky. Uh, it, so there's even, it's so amazing. There's also a game. Oh. No, go ahead, Bert, please. <laughs> I, re I remember there's also a, a game uh, with with this kind of uh, uh, cards. Well, I once again, to me, the reason I find it interesting is because what's exactly happening in my brain that keeps making me say the wrong thing? <laughs> I mean, the brain is amazing in what it can do, but it's very simple things can trip it up. For example, if you ever find yourself walking into another room and suddenly forgetting what you were there for, it's called the doorway Never. effect. <laughs> and that happens to me all the or, time. Yeah, and it's because of the fact that your brain segments reality into you know very short little areas and by changing your locale by going through a doorway in particular then your brain shifts context and it's easy to forget what you're doing but by contrast it's a phenomenal way to try to establish something into longer term memory by purposefully crossing doorways while studying it can help to firmly embed whatever that is into your memory. It, it's kind of amazing. I always thought it was because I was getting old and from years of taking medications for neck problems. <laughs> but I like your explanation much, much better. <laughs> uh, All right. So, JJ, have you done studying where you're walking through doorways? I have not. I actually... Um, I purposefully avoid that because it is, especially when I'm studying language, it falls through my head, which is ironic considering that I'm a linguist, but it's the hardest thing that I have is to hold on to vocabulary in a real meaningful way without it quickly falling out. Um, so I should be doing that, but I don't. Well, anybody got any thoughts they wanna bring up here? Well, Bert, what do you think is happening in the situation with the uh, foreign accent? What do you think is happening in the, the mind or the brain when that happens? Let's make an assumption. Let's make, an let's make the assumption that it is not an accent the person has been exposed to. What would account for that in, in your experience? <laughs> if, someone, if someone just started to talk in an accent, of a foreign accent, um, which the person never heard before, but someone else knows well, well that that is a, this is a Mandarin accent he is having, or some other accent, more exotic accent. I would have no clue as to why that would happen and or how it how because it, is, it it reminds me as well as as the 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 persons what you've told me that who have been possessed and talking in in a, a completely different suddenly a complete different language mm -hmm. 
And it's the same question I always have. Is it, is it really spoken in that language with, with that it makes sense and that it is also the accent is correct, the dialect is correct, or is it the interpretation, how, how it, someone perceives that language? And that's interesting, you know, the, the exorcist will, will record that and take it to a specialist, right, in that language. And and that's often what they say is that's one of the diagnostic, uh, they're speaking perfect Italian. Exactly. Perfect exactly. Ukrainian or, or whatever language it is. It's not just bits and pieces they may have picked up or, or gobbledygook, right? No. Yeah, because that, well, the poor girl um, in Germany, uh, she spoke German, of course, and 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 she was possessed by Hitler. And uh, what wait, was wait, her wait, name? Wait, 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 that was a pretty big jump. What would <laughs> you, you 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 got to give us a little more background? <laughs> oh, uh, well, she she's a famous girl. Uh, uh, the, the name they used in a movie here was Emily Rose. Yeah, but it, it was, was not her. Annalise it was something, wasn't it? Annalise, Ma Annalise. Michelle or Michael. Michael or yes, Michael. exactly. Yeah. And what I remember, there are tapes of of that exorcism. Uh huh. And but but she shouts in in German and um, what I recall, not not a foreign language. Well, I mean. So she was, she was a German shouting in German. Yeah. Okay. Well, <clears throat> I know quite a few German people, and they are very much like Americans. And some people are soft-spoken, and some people are not soft-spoken. And then you have guys like Hitler, and Hitler worked most of his life to try to figure out how to be really, really persuasive with his words. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're, you know, there are pictures of Hitler standing in front of a mirror, watching his face, and doing everything in the world he can to become the world's best yeah. writer. And I'm sure he did a really, really good job of that. I, I have heard one recording of Hitler's non-oration voice. Hmm. Um, and it's just a mundane conversation. You know, something like, oh, what kind of soup are they serving today? <laughs> you, know, or, you know, or something like that. But it's a totally different voice. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure I could, I could speak like Hitler. I don't think I could. It, maybe with a, a year of practice, you know, I could, I could have that kind of, uh, I don't know, very persuasive, almost yelling kind of speech he did. Well, and you would have to watch hours and hours of video of him to try to get that down, right? And the intonation. It, it's just like English, right? I mean, look, you talked about hearing uh, angry Cajun, right? Mm -hmm. I, mean, I grew up in Southwest Virginia. I've got relatives that I know you would not understand what they said, right? Right. It's very, uh, you know, drawn out, very uh, uh, almost guttural in some cases, almost like they're swallowing words, they're, they're said differently. Mm -hmm. If you weren't exposed to that accent, you would there's no way you'd be able to recreate it i was exposed to it and i can't create it i mean i guess maybe if i was hit over the head and all of those memories were coalesced of all the speech i heard like that perhaps i could recreate that 
Do you see a way, Bert, for that to happen? Like, let's take that example. I, I, I've heard this accent for long periods of time in my childhood. Yeah. Could something happen to where I could now speak just like them? Something happened to my brain? I think it could. Yes, it, it reminds me of, of the, what I told you earlier. There was this woman who spoke in a dialect uh, all her life, but only in the end, after, after uh, having a few years with dementia, she started to speak just plain Dutch. Mm -hmm. And um, I come from an area where they have a very strong dialect, uh, but my mother comes from an area who has not this dialect. And I've learned to talk because of my mother. So I can imagine that being exposed that much to that dialect that if I, I hope not, but if I get such an accident or get Alzheimer's or another form of dementia, I start, I will start talking in that dialect. But then again, it's because you're exposed so many hours and so many. It's, it's the building blocks of that dialect are in your brain already. Yes. And with Alzheimer's, that makes sense because I've had family members with Alzheimer's and there is a regression to when you're younger very often, right? Reliving yeah, but those that's... experiences, actually literally hallucinating what you went through in childhood. And, and what you often see is that people start with able to, to speak Dutch and going back to the dialect of their youth. Really? That's pretty fascinating. Yeah. yeah, but not so much going from the dialect they spoke all of their lives to, to plain Dutch. That's, that's not what I've seen often. Have you guys heard of Om Seti? I've heard of Seti. Yeah. Not, so did not, not, what did you say? Alms? Like, like, uh, A-O-M, I'm sorry, O-M-M-S-E-T-Y. O-M-M-S-E-T-Y. What is it? Okay. Om Seti was a British woman who, when she was three years old, she had a very, very serious head injury. They didn't think she was going to survive. I'm trying to figure out, find out what her real name was. Dorothy Eddy was her actual name. And she started, she's one of these people who started talking about, I'm not in my real home. And I don't remember if she saw a movie or a newsreel or a magazine or something that showed pyramids and sphinxes and, you know, various Egyptian things. And she said, that's my home. That's where I'm <clears> supposed <throat> to be. And insisted on this for years and years and years and years. And then, and she would talk about things. She would say, she would see a temple in some kind of travel documentary. And she would say, uh, they don't have that quite right. The, uh, the burial grounds were to the west of the temple, about 50 meters away, and the gardens were to the east of the temple. And she was so accurate in the stuff she said that they finally got her to Egypt. Hmm. And she, once she was there, she said, I'm no longer Dorothy Eddy, I'm Almaseti, and this is where I'm going to stay. This is my home. This is where I, this is where I came from. So in her mind, and I'm, and look, <clears throat> this isn't the kind of thing where after a few years, they just thought of her as the crazy lady who lived out by the, 
<laughs> you know, who lived up by the, the Sphinx. They thought of her as an Egyptologist who knew more about what was happening there than anyone else. So, And that goes in line with some of the discussions we've had on reincarnation. Mm-hmm. On reincarnation. Mm-hmm. Or universal intelligence. Yeah, same. Yeah, yes. possible. If you're trying to be just totally materialist reductionist about that, I mean, I, could you say that, okay, something happened to her brain. Uh, when she was a child, she looked through a lot of magazines that had pictures of Egypt, and she confabulated all of these different stories about Egypt. Well, yes, that could happen. But why would they have the degree of accuracy? Well, I was going to say, that would assume that those old books were more accurate than current thought. And that's not usually the way it goes. You get more accurate as you learn more, not the other right. way Right, you get around. more accurate as you go on. And, and I know she spent the rest of her life in Egypt and was a, considered a respected scholar of Egyptian history and Egyptology. Well, universal and, intelligence. Talk about that, Bert. Lay it out. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's an idea what I... I read it somewhere about tapping into the universal intelligence if you wanted to achieve something. Um, oh, and and also the, the what is it called the hundredth monkey effect or something, which is a which is a paranormal topic topic paranormal rundown topic. Yeah, it's on the list. The hundredth monkey. I my understanding is that. Well, once an idea becomes disseminated among enough brains, an adequate number of brains, then that idea is everywhere. A part of that, I think, has to do simply with history. And the the, the term I like is when it's time to railroad, people will railroad. Mm-hmm. Okay, when <clears throat> when you get a situation where you've got to move a bunch of stuff from one part of, an, of a country to another, where... You know how to deal with metal. You know how to deal with with um, energy. You know how to make steam, and you know how to contain all that. It's time to railroad. And I'm not sure where they actually came up with the term hundredth monkey." So it makes me wonder. So the woman who became Amseti. Hmm. I love how the more of these episodes we have the more these same concepts keep coming up yes. and being connected. They do. So the the episode with Father Wills, okay, with Father Bob, we talked a little bit about uh, memories being passed down through DNA. Yeah. Right? So now the question would be, the woman who became Almsetti is it possible she was descendant from Amseti and there was a genetic memory that was passed down through DNA to her? And is that is that universal intelligence tapping into some DNA mechanism where you're understanding something from the past because of your relationship to it? Or is it something external to the body altogether that you're tapping into sort of what I think is happening behind the scenes, right? Not the physical body, but the the universal potential consciousness, the way the universal works. And I have no way of telling you that. 
Well, I'm very disappointed, Vic. I was looking to you for answers. <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's recently that, that we more and more start to understand that, that the DNA, how it is affected by the external fact, by external influences, but also from uh, parent to child. So that if a person uh, experienced something traumatic, it does, it gives changes in the DNA, which is passed on to the next generation. Wait, 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 really? Yes. Like also like Lamarckian evolution. Well, I think more what I understand, I'm not a geneticist, uh, geneticist, so (laughs) there's a a big disclaimer. What you're talking about is a mechanism where existing DNA can be changed such that it can be inherited by offspring. Exactly. And, and we know about epigenetics, of course, yes. that, 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 that chunks of DNA can be turned off and on and off. Right. Uh, and I, I can imagine this is some sort of mechanism as well. But the idea that there is that um, between the body and the outside world, we see it as it, it, it stops with the skin. But um, it is more, um, how do you say, uh, it's more, um, it's more osmotic, so to speak. Okay, good but, word. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where the, the genetic information of the human body can absorb information from the outside world. Yes. Okay. And that's, of course, there's this thought that, that, that <clears throat> psychotherapy um, can induce this as well. It, 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 it changes your uh, behavioral patterns, uh, how you deal with stress and, and such. And that can, ref- can be reflected on the DNA as well. But the mechanisms are not that clear yet. I find that so, astounding. I mean, I, I, I guess the, the image I've always had in my mind is that we are given a DNA information set. Mm-hmm. And that's going to give us things like how big our ears are, what color hair we have, how tall we are, how resistant we are to certain organisms, all kinds of physical things. But at the end of your life, that that set of genetic information will be the same as it was at the beginning of your life. Your your body will change because of of injuries and exercise and nutrition and all of that. But there's not any difference in the genetics. But you're talking about a situation where that's not quite the case. No. And and most will be epigenetics. So the the, the core of the DNA will not be changed, but the <clears throat> some parts are turned on or off oh, that's amazing. for replication for um, transcription into uh, proteins and stuff. Okay. So if I've got if there's the genetic part of me that gives me the superpower of speaking all languages instantly. I want to turn that one on. That's the <laughs> language man. But <laughs> what I've always wondered, it's 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 the to- this is the topic you brought up now, but because I wondered you've spoken about your eidetic memory, which is not fully eidetic. I'm not quite I'm not quite like Tesla, but not not not, not quite. Not you know, but I can anything visual I can I have in well I mean, Dave's seen it. You, you've seen me just, bam. <laughs> it is. It but is if you're, if you're, mine. we'll give it that. 
so if you read something in 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 in, uh, um, in, in Spanish with a translation beside it, it will be able to help you in learning oh, I Spanish. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, that's uh, seeing four pages of text is challenging. It's I I can do it. One thing I can tell you, though, is it's not absolutely permanent. If if I if I look at a text, I can get it in there, and then for a day or two, I can go back and actually read from that text. But it's like your brain has to make room for new stuff. So imagine that every page of text you've ever read in your life by, which I bet by this term, time, Bert's pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've read a lot of books by this point in your life. And I guess it might be nice to be able to just in your brain, go back and pull any of those pages up. And I understand there are people who can, but I don't think there are very many of them. And it seems like it would be an awfully crowded place in there. I'm also not as good as it was good at it as I was when I was 30 which I hate. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to say, you know, on the, the, the genetic alterations, I, you know, we've heard so far the idea that a very intense event could alter the genetics to be passed down to an aversion to that event. Right. And, and, and father Mike actually pulled a biblical reference out of that. Uh, to to go along with it, and I forget the exact reference, but it's really interesting to me that you're saying that psychotherapy, which is not, I mean, maybe intense, but it's an over time type of thing. You would think is a gradual change, not a you have just one intense session and then you you've you've altered your whole personality. Mm -hmm. um, so a gradual thing could do the same thing. I think so. I think it has a lot of to do with, with relationships as well. Mm. Um, for example, you have this, this um, I don't know how to say this in, in, in English. You have this, um, this kind of therapy that you uh, have in a group and it's a representation of the family. You want a representation of the family. Okay, okay. So, so one of the group members uh, is, is the subject and, and will decide who plays her parents it's a, it's or... It's a role-playing kind of therapy. Exactly. Only what happens is the, the people are assigned the roles, mm -hmm. but in these relationships during that time, they show behavior that is not uh, not common to them and but is common to the person who they are representing but they don't didn't know that so oh okay um so there's also a lot of information passed unconsciously to another person even somebody who didn't i mean you're talking about someone taking on the characteristics of someone they don't even know. Yeah. Yes. That's astounding. Wow. Yeah. What? What? Obviously, people have observed this. They must have some 
speculation. I mean, I understand science can't tell you why something happens until there's tremendous research and you've gone through a lot of different hypotheses and eliminated them, but there's always speculation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and that's, I think that there is a key in, in the relationships because if you at least um, perhaps if you, if you have siblings, parents, and, and you go out of the house and, and you have your own family, you behave in a certain way. But when you go back to, um, to your parental house and, and your siblings are there, then you're back into a certain kind of role mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and can behave uh, such like. I want to go back, if you don't mind, to just the whole idea of, of Lamarck. Okay. And so the, the idea of Darwinian Mendelian genetics is that we've got a whole bunch of trees out there and a whole bunch of giraffes. And at the beginning, all of the giraffes can get to leaves, but after a while, only the giraffes with longer necks can get to the leaves. And so they're the ones who survive and they get together and they make baby giraffes and they tend to have longer necks. And over time, you get longer and longer and longer neck giraffes. Yes. Not because of any physical change in the giraffe during their lifetime, just because of the genetics that they bring to the table. Now in Lamarck, the idea is that you got a hungry giraffe and you got, you got trees over there with leaves on them, but they can't quite reach them. So these giraffes mm, try real hard to stretch their necks as far as they can. And over time, that act of trying to stretch their necks changes their genetics. And then hmm. that can be passed on to the next generation. Now, Lamarck's pretty much not taught anymore and pretty much been, just been discredited. Mm-hmm. But the idea that you can take, that you can permanently change someone's genetics is astounding to me. I'm, I'm thinking about, well, I read a study one time. I don't know how accurate it was. You know, things published for laymen are not always perfectly accurate. <laughs> but, but perhaps perhaps um, it, I was talking about the expression of the... DNA, the, okay. the epigenetic uh, right. changes. Mm -hmm. You're saying which parts become active and which parts are not active. Exactly. And and th those changes are passed over. Okay. That's how I, not that you have complete chunks that, 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 that the um, uh, amino acids suddenly turn from uh, one to another. All right. So what you're talking about is the underlying grid of information stays the same. Yes, it's we've, the expression. Right. We've got a thousand boxes this way, a thousand boxes this way. Yeah. You know, giving us a million boxes. Yeah. All of them are still there. But some are turned on and some are turned off. And at the end of your life, epigenetically, certain boxes can be turned back on and that can be and that can be inherited. Exactly. Exactly. Still, still pretty fast. Yeah. So we, we we don't have to be afraid that we are suddenly growing fins or something. But it's right. The un the underlying information is whatever the underlying information is. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I read a study one time that was talking about LSD, and I my brain was just trying to come up with what exactly LSD lysergic something acid um 
And what they were showing was <clears throat> people's in EEGs before and after taking LSD. And I'm, I don't know really how true this is, but the idea is that in certain ways, an EEG is kind of like a fingerprint that each brain will, under a, uh, a state of health, essentially give you the same EEG from study to study. And that after taking LSD, the fundamental nature of the EEG had changed. Anybody read that particular study? I didn't. No. Doesn't surprise me, though. I, I, I've known people who have taken LSD. Not myself. Uh, I've stayed away from hallucinogenics. But I, I've known people who have, and they're... Well, I won't say LSD. They've taken acid. It's not quite the same. I don't think it's the 100% same formula, but it's close. What's, what's the difference? I, I, I'm not entirely sure. Um, okay. Pure LSD back in the 60s is slightly different than what you find on the street today. Okay. Uh, probably has The street today probably has more fentanyl in it. Well, no. <laughs> God, I hope not. That would be it. But the, but the common... Uh, statement about that is they feel like they have been changed forever. They see the world in a way that they can never unsee. Not that they continue to experience the trip, right? The hallucinations, the feelings, but that they there is a switch that's been flipped in their mind that allows for a slightly different view of things and something that powerful and that persistent that, I mean, they feel less their entire life. It's not like it's, well, I feel like I, I saw things differently for a year or two. I mean, 30 years later, they still feel like they see things slightly different than they did before they ever took it. And I can hmm. see that translating into an EEG change. Bert, is there any uh, therapeutic use for LSD and similar drugs along those lines? Well. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, 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 I've never heard of one, but I, but I don't know. I mean, I know there are a lot of, you know, proponents of these drugs. What was his name? Timothy Leary? You know. Well, some drugs, some drugs um, can help against severe depressions mm -hmm. and are being um, researched for, for those um, indications. Like ketamine. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, think psilocybin. So yeah. have you ever dealt with psilocybin? And do, do they treat with that uh, in Holland, Bert? No, okay. I've never. At least we don't. <laughs> I, I haven't treated, and <laughs> it's not something common uh, to treat. It's uh, not common here no. yet either, but it is being used in studies, and yeah. what you see, they're using it and testing it in two key cases. Mm -hmm. One is terminal patients, and what they see: you get cancer, you got nine months, and you're terrified. Right. And they'll do 
treatment with psilocybin, and you will see a an acceptance and a the anxiety gone. Now, I don't know if that's always the case. I'm just saying what I've read about it, uh, and the you know the patient is much more comfortable with their impending passing. Uh, and then the other is with PTSD. And that is where the, the I think the real future of using psilocybin <clears throat> seems to be is dealing with PTSD patients and they are uh, really, in some cases, a single session turning around their their PTSD and, and having a much better quality of life. Now, this is not me saying, hey, everybody with PTSD, go out and get some shrooms, okay? I'm not saying, these these are like uh, controlled settings. They're with yes, someone of course. guiding them through the experience and very, very mm -hmm. controlled dosing of it. So, uh, and it's, uh, I think it's been legalized at a local level in some places for these purposes. Um, but that is something that uh, where it's you're not talking about something that is strong and uh, in effect as acid or LSD, but it, it is a hallucinogenic that is having some treatment mm -hmm. effects. Well, w one of the things that always scares me about this is even commercially manufactured medications where you know exactly how much of substance X is in that is in that capsule or in that pill. They can still have widely varying effects. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's and body's different. With something like psilocybin, how do you have any idea even exactly what's in there? It's a buckshot in the brain. Say that one more time. A buckshot in the brain. A buckshot in the brain. The reason I wanted you to say it again was because you say it so beautifully. And... <laughs> 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 it has it has that poetry a buckshot in the brain that's a perfect statement in that you don't really have any idea what you're taking in in there there are well one of the things we'd see in the ed would they these these kids they were kids you know 14 to 20 years old they would raid their parents medicine cabinets <laughs> and they would bring whatever pills they found and they'd put them in a big fishbowl. And the idea was that you reached into the fishbowl and just got a big old handful of pills and took whatever you got. You know, so I'm, I was always thinking, gosh, they must be taking, you know, everything from Enderol to... <laughs> You know? Natural selection, I hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah this is very... <laughs> yes. You know, so... Well, Bert, believe me, this was a perfect initial rundown topic in that we started talking about foreign accent syndrome, and we ended up talking about pill parties with fishbowls. And, and before we leave the topic, I do want to say, Bert, if you have suggestions on how to do a session where you take on that other person's characteristics, I really want you to teach me how to be JJ so that I can understand all of these languages and and, and his experiences. So uh, if you just send me on a, a direct message, that'd be great. It, it, I would not wish that upon my worst enemy. So. 
Well, I'm trying to figure out who I'd want to be. I, I... <laughs> anyway, okay. Are we all right moving to another topic? Yes, please. Absolutely. Okay. All right, here we go. Hitting F9. Here we go. <clears throat> Topic one, massive underground tunnel networks. Topic two, angel divisions and angel choirs. Topic three, the Thule Society. Topic four, the smiley face killers slash group serial killers. Topic five, prosperity ministries. Topic six, science fiction tropes. What was the second one, Vic? It says angel divisions and angel choirs. Okay. I, I, I guess I'm i looking at JJ with, with that topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I figure anything that has the word angel in it, probably JJ wants to, wants to, wants to hop on that. Yeah, and, and that would be I always accurate. But I, I like and that I think it's one. always a good idea. I like uh, smiley face killers as well. Well, since... since Nobody here can talk about anything having to do with angelology as well as you can. Why don't we talk about the, the angel divisions and the angel choirs? I find that pretty interesting. Sure. So I can really I can really only speak to the Hebrew Bible version of that, which is a heck of a lot more simplified than what you find in church histories, etc. cetera. Uh, but really you have cherubim, seraphim, and archangels. And that's really about the division of it. You get like some other specialty jobs or roles, uh, whether that is Hasatan, which is the chief prosecutor, and is absolutely not Satan, um, to the lying spirit of God, uh, or the messenger wait, wait, of God. Lion or lying? Lying. Okay. And that is when uh, God wanted to uh, lead astray a sinful king. And okay, sends okay. a lying spirit to say, yeah, go ahead and fight this war. Everything's just going to turn out. Everything's going to be dandy right. for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And only one prophet came up and said, no, 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 don't, don't believe that. And everyone, all of his other advisors were like, yeah, it's fine. We heard from God. You're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> but in the New in uh, the Christian New Testament, you find, you know, nine different levels of different types of angels with archangels being at the very top. Um, but yeah, that is essentially how angels are divided. I have a question. Uh, it's, it's from your earlier podcast and um, it's a language thing. You, uh, Seraphim comes from the stem, Sarah, Sarah. Yep. if I understood. Sarah, and I wondered if the snake um, in in paradise or in the Garden of Eden, 
it, does it have the same language or the same um it does not yeah it's an entirely different word that's used okay what kind of word is is that it literally just means snake it, there's no special significance to it okay. whereas saraf is it, the verb literally means to burn why does that word relate to angels? What was it that angels were burning? What what was burning? Is that meant figuratively, literally? How is that meant? It's been interpreted in many different ways throughout the years, but some uh -huh. people believe that, you know, they are casting reflections of God. Some believe that they burn because they are in the presence of God. There's a lot of different interpretations to that. And and the divisions of angels reminds me also about, uh, I think it was the Kabbalah or something. And then there was something, a, a transformer like name like Metatron in, on the it's top. A fantastic and name. Yeah. <laughs> you find that in Third Enoch, and the uh, Metatron is the top of the top of the top of the archangels. Really? Yes. Okay, so the, the, there are more, uh, there are also divisions in the archangel uh, group. That is an interesting question. <laughs> Wait, before you get to that, can I can I jump in just a second? No. Yes, of course. <laughs> okay. In my mind, I guess I had naively thought that the the head honcho angel, the the top, you know, TPMF uh, IC, uh, <laughs> you know, top angel in charge, was Michael. You know, he who is like God. Um, the, the the warrior of of the angels it's, and <clears throat> and I, I my thought was always that Metatron was thought of as the the scribe of the angels. You see, that's the thing. There are, you know, there's really only four identifiable archangels within the okay. Hebrew Bible, and mm -hmm. however because the number seven is so important it's later hypothesized that no there are really seven and then you find other random names ascribed to the other three but they always shift and morph mm -hmm. mikael should be the top because that literally means who is like god but and really, it's Gab Gabriel, the, the mighty warrior of God, who's the true warrior of the okay. group, mm -hmm. even though Michael is the one who was shown to oppose Satan or the enemy, however you want to name him, um, in all of its various forms and guises. But M Metatron is, I don't remember, because I haven't read Third Enoch in a very long time, but isn't Metatron what Enoch becomes? That's exactly what I what I had thought. Yeah, was that was that Enoch was the man who walked with God, who was there and then was not there. 
Yeah, he's the only person from the Hebrew Bible that it's never recorded that he actually died. That's all it says. Right, right, he walked right. with mm-hmm. God. Walked with God, and then, and then so... And that's why he became the ultimate apocryphal figure within the pseudepigrapha, where he becomes the voice piece of the watchers and uh, actually visits heaven and becomes an advocate, you know, for God uh, from the earth. It's rather remarkable. And then you've got, you know, three total pseudepigraphal books that are devoted with him being the central figure to it all. So, you know, he you cannot underplay how important Enoch is as a figure in all of this. But then to have him assume and not only just an angelic form, which if you take a reading from first Enoch to be serious would be a serious uh, sacrilege because you cannot mix the mortal and the spirit as we saw with the Nephilim. But then to have him become the ultimate angel that even stands above the other archangels, that is a whole nother level in and of itself. But then you also have you have to mix in to there were angels that, at least within Second Temple Judaism, stood. They led each of the seventy nations. So there were seventy of these angels that were responsible. And of course, the angel that was over Israel was Israel. Kind of makes sense. And then Israel becomes an extremely important figure as well because of his statue as leading the nation. Uh, but the ones that I find the most interesting are the inverse angels, the names which become that are either sacrilegious or are plays upon angel names. So, you know, you have a standard uh, pattern. You have um, a, a verb or a noun and then L, which designates God, which is short for mm-hmm. Elohim. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Gaber L. You have Samael, the gall or the poison of God, which I just love that name beyond all belief. And then you have... I do, too. I mean, that's a... For someone raised pretty much exclusively in a Christian environment, that's a very strange concept. Oh, absolutely. But then you have the other one, which is my favorite name that people love to mispronounce, (laughs) Azazel. 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 Yeah, it's a good old old Azzy. (laughs) Because... The name, the the very, that ending part is L. It's not your standard Aleph Lameth. It is Ayan Lameth. And so it becomes almost a parody of God's name in and of itself through folk etymology. And I just, yeah, it's just always been near and dear to my heart. And honestly, I think at the end of the day, 
That's why in First Enoch, even though he did not lead the Watchers, he was only a chief of ten, he becomes the one in which they say, ascribe to him all sin. And he becomes the oh. ultimate bad guy in First okay. Enoch. Mm -hmm. Where it should have been Semachas, who led all of the Watchers. But no, his crimes were a pittance in conjunction with to uh in comparison to Azazel. Azazel. Oh, I didn't get you saying it. Yeah, Sorry, I JJ. I was like, oh, I wanted to smack my own forehead there for a second. Like, oh my so, gosh. So do you think that the the story there on Enoch to Metatron are there any other examples of someone becoming angelic, becoming an angel in the apocrypha or not in the, not in the pseudepigrapha. I'm sorry, pseudepigrapha. I said it wrong. Pseudepigrapha, yeah. right? Not to my knowledge, no. So, do you think that is where the uh, the concept that some? I know some of there are some. There's an official, I think, heresy for it or something where people can then become can advance to the point of becoming angels. You find those kind of concepts more often in Gnosticism than you do in anything else. Mm -hmm. Where if you have the right magic, then yeah, you can do essentially anything that you want to do. Um, and it had to have been not the strangest of ideas if it became if it wormed its way into a text which some people considered holy. And if you're a part of the Ethiopic Orthodox Church, you still consider holy. Cool. Bert, I, I know you can't speak on specific people in your practice over the years. I don't want you to do that. But have you run across people who have uh, had interactions with angels, said they've had interactions with angels, and and how do you handle that when you run into something like that? Well, mo most of the time, it's it's uh, they're not they're not interacting with well fallen angels. That that's something is is a bit more common, unfortunately, right? Because of the dreaded things they they encounter or the, th the thoughts they get i've once treated this girl who was who was convinced that she was she was evil and and she was um well she was she was, <laughs> she was a, a a sort of demon mm -hmm. and um may i may I ask you a question before i don't want to break her chain of thought <clears throat> but on this what was there anything objectively that a regular person would consider evil about her? No. Okay. No. No, not at all. Not at all. Okay. No. She was she was a normal person. A normal person uh early 20s uh mm -hmm. and and what you did see is is um the the, the stages of schizophrenia how it is um expressed um mm -hmm. that was a period in which she was getting more, she 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 
got more on herself and, and was getting more difficulties uh, maintaining her contacts and and becoming more more paranoid uh to a stage that that um she wanted um she no longer wanted to live because she thought she was so evil so just further would you say further decompensation i mean just every day she's getting further away from the normal person she might be yes okay yeah and hearing this voice that that she was evil so there were these these acoustic hallucinations mm -hmm. and it always saddens me because she was she was what i've heard from her family she was a, a very bright girl and um um and she had become a, 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 just a, a shadow of what she was mm. well fortunately the medication uh, helped relieve the symptoms Good. so uh, well i just know i i know quite a few people over time uh, especially with more modern new age type beliefs or you know very loosely christian beliefs uh with a a new age slant uh who uh, have not in the i mean i know catholics have the the concept of a, a guardian angel but this is a little bit more than that right they're they're speaking to their guides they're speaking to angels angels are guiding <clears throat> them uh, things that happen in their environment, these are positive things, right? This is not negative, are, are happening in their environment that they attribute to an angelic being. And uh, I, I know that that's, that's not that uncommon of a belief or experience. Oh, in fact, on <laughs> no, but TikTok right now, there is a stitch that's going around where a woman asked, tell me how you know that God is real. And I don't mean some kind of universal energy. And it's all of these people that are sharing their experiences. And the vast majority of those have to deal with angels in some way, shape, or form. Like one woman was saying that uh, she was on a very busy interstate uh, she tried to merge. Another car was there, uh, hit her rear uh, bumper and spun her out on the interstate. And she hit the, you know, one of the, the side walls and came to a stop. And instantly there was a man who was there who set out road flares for her and like briefed out all the emergency people that came on to the scene the police officers etc and then she was asking people when she got into the emergency room the police officer who was there who is this pastor who was suddenly at my door and he's like there is nobody else there and there's a lot of these stories and they are there are a lot of these yeah, stories. and they're fascinating i mean some mm -hmm. of them can be easily explained away of oh trauma or head issues or mm -hmm. memory lapses some of them are not and if you take them on face value whether you fully believe them or not 
they leave you with such a positive glow that you want to believe them. The and, I, and I think that the, the reason why I do not speak a lot to people who have these positive effects is because they are not suffering from it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Well, I did, I did have a patient and um, I remember, I actually remember her name, but I think, I think uh, Bert and I have decided that every patient we refer to will be Mrs. Johnson or Jansen, I guess, if you're doing it in Dutch, simply because that way I don't slip up and use somebody's real name. She was toward the end of her life, last six months of her life, but it was uncertain as to exactly how long she was going to live because she was responding somewhat to treatment. And she would tell me every time I would talk to her. And she was not a, she wasn't schizophrenic. She did not have disordered thinking in any way. She was somewhat frightened of the idea of death. But she was very lucid and very with it. And she would just tell me, well, there's my angel right up there. And she would point to the exact same place in the room every single time, which is up in one of the corners of the room. And <clears throat> she would say things like, I can tell how I'm doing by the color of the angel's hair. And so when the angel would have bright blondish hair, she was doing well. When the, when the color of the angel's hair would get darker, she would, she realized she was sicker. Now, she talked about this angel in the corner of the room communicating other things to her. I never saw anything in, in the corner, but I guarantee you she was seeing something there. And if there was a, if this was simply a hallucination, it was kind of a beneficial hallucination for her because it brought her great comfort. And, and she would say things such as, you know, the, my angel has told me that, you know, if once the treatment stops, once I can no longer recover, that they are here instantly for me when I die. I never knew what to say to her. I just would would talk. Well, I think that's great. I, <laughs> I, I wish everybody on the floor had an angel. That was yeah. them around. <laughs> uh, but her experience was extremely positive. Has anybody here watched the and JJ, I want to take this back into the mundane. This is non Harvard stuff. Uh, the the supernatural TV show. Oh, yes. Okay, remember Metatron and the Supernatural TV Yeah, he was show? a weasel. <laughs> He's an absolute weasel. <laughs> I never made it past the first season of Supernatural. It gets so much better you... after the first season. The first well, season like... is your typical horror tropes, right? Every episode right, was a, tropes, yeah. uh, you know, typical folk tale about, you know, horror story. When they get into the long-term story arcs, it gets much more interesting. Okay, I might have to pick it back up again. <laughs> well, anyway, Metatron is played by the guy who played Booger in Revenge of the Nerds. Uh, really? <laughs> I love that character. <laughs> he, and, and Bert's looking at us like, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> Bert, have you seen the TV show Supernatural? No, I haven't. <laughs> 
I'm missing something here. I understand. It is a cultural <laughs> phenomenon. They've got 16 or 17 seasons. And these are long seasons, right? 15, 15 seasons. 15, okay. I'm, I'm at 13. Mm-hmm. I, haven't, I haven't finished it. It's got 15 seasons. and It's on a streaming. A streaming uh... Oh, yeah. You oh, can yeah, stream sure it all on Netflix. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure it's streaming somewhere. And look, it, it, it's, it's very much like a lot of these other shows. I mean, they've got the, the Monster of the Week episodes. You know, where this week we're fighting a, 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 a pish taco which is a Peruvian kind of monster that sucks fat out of people. Okay. But next week we're going to be, we're going to be back to the story for the season where we're fighting the, uh, uh, you know, Eve, the mother of all, all monsters or something like that. Um, but it's ridiculously entertaining. Yeah. At least I found it. So absolutely. The only, the only season I found terrible was the, Leviathan season. The Leviathan storyline was tough, but it had its moments. <laughs> the head guy was a really good bad dude. He was a really totally good, bad corporate, guy. totally corporate evil. It was great. But so, Bert, are there any um, are there any Dutch equivalents to shows like Supernatural? You know these these monster shows that people watch every week. I don't think we have the budget for something like that. <laughs> you know what? I do have to say that I think a lot of like I actually began prepping for Southern Demonology unknowingly in grad school because yeah. of the X Files. Hmm. Oh, and. It's because of the fact that they would have some biblical reference that would they, they would allude to, and I would rip it to shreds. <laughs> and I would have friends actually like call me over. Let's watch X Files, and now you dissect it for us. And you dissect. Okay, so that became the ritual. And I loved That'd it. That'd be fun. Oh, I loved That's it great. so much. Yeah. That would be fun. I took time. You know, they did a a second little series. Right, a more modern take on it with the original characters, Mulder and Scully. This is a, I don't know, maybe five years ago or something. And so, same same actors, or yeah, same actors, actors. same same actors. actors. Okay. It was like the story later, right? And so, <clears throat> um, I went back and watched the original end to end, and. <laughs> Some of the episodes held that same mystique that I enjoyed, but it really was disappointing. My memories of it were so much better than the show really was. And I guess it was my age at the time and the newness of it, you know, and I guess most series are like that. In retrospect, there's always faults with them, but they really did not do a great job of turning it into a whole brand. I think that was the idea. They were going to start a whole brand new show. And uh, it was disappointing because there's so much fodder out there. I mean, they would absolutely have an episode about the mall in Miami, right? (laughs) Oh, man, for sure. Yeah. So the question I've got real quickly, has South Park done the mall in Miami yet? Oh, I don't know. I don't watch South Park anymore, but but, but they, they definitely they should. should. 
They definitely should. If anyone okay, so would have a good take on it, they absolutely would. South Park would be able to do a good take on it. Look, my wife and I, you know, one of our rituals is that we will we'll find a TV show that we can watch together. Mm-hmm. You know, because we're both busy and we often don't have time to watch a whole movie or, you know, but we can generally set aside an hour to sit together on the couch and watch a TV show and talk about my it. My wife and it's I a, do the same thing. Yep. Yeah, it, it's just kind of a, it's kind of a bonding thing. Um, and it's fun, you know, the, the next day when you're getting ready for work, you, you know, you're, you're saying, you're talking about, uh, what do you think about that Indian guy on Downton Abbey? I wonder if, (laughs) (laughs) and so what we're watching right now is the X-Files and we're still in season one. Uh, but we've watched both Battlestar Galacticas and there's a, a British TV show about monsters coming through or dinosaurs coming through oh yeah portals. primeval great primeval. show great yeah, show. we've watched we've watched all these shows british uh we watched a bizarre show from lars van trier it, it, it was it was called the kingdom and it was about this huge hospital somewhere in i think norway where all this weird paranormal stuff was it's going on. Kingdom Hospital Kingdom from Hos- Stephen King. Yes, T- Kingdom Hospital. But they had made a TV show about it. And, man, that's a weird show. Yeah. But You've seen anyway. that one, Bert? I've seen it but quite a long time ago. And I thought Stephen King had also something. I think it was ba- – I so- think the original stories were written by Stephen King. And they may have made – an American miniseries or series or yeah. movie about it. But the one that I saw was Finland or Norway, one okay. of the Scandinavian countries. I've seen the American uh, version now. What did you think about it? I think what I remember, it, it was fun to see and it was weird. And the, the, but the atmosphere was, was quite good. The, the, the the episode I remember most in the Kingdom Hospital one was there's this woman who has she's pregnant and she is pregnant from something other than a human. And she's wanting to. OK, so trigger warning time. She's wanting to terminate this pregnancy. And she she ends up giving birth to this demon infant thing. And so within a day or two, it's like 11 feet tall uh, and is able to speak like an adult, but has the emotional makeup of an infant. Just absolutely. Supernatural it, 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 did the same storyline. It, it, it's, it's like, uh, what's his name? Um, Twin Peaks, David Lynch on steroids. <laughs> 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 Just incredibly weird. Actually, have y'all ever seen the British comedy Gareth Marenghi's Dark Place? No. Oh. Tell us about it. Oh. oh my god! It it it's go, it goes way overboard, like more than half the time. But it is hilarious. If uh, you ever enjoyed um, the what's the other british comedy that's really famous uh it crowd if you enjoy 
the the nerdy guy on there, then he plays like the head of the hospital in this in this series. And it's all about this guy who is pretend who is uh, who's playing an actor who thinks that he is the greatest screenwriter, author, actor in the entire world and produces this truly horrible, mediocre uh, uh, TV series that's set in a hospital where all the strange things in the world happen to be, and yet only he can save everybody. It's actually really funny. I enjoyed the heck out of it. This is great. So I have new paranormal hospital shows to watch. The Kingdom and Dark... Dark place. Place. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Think we got time for one more uh, one more topic? Yeah, I'm good for one more. Okay. All right, hitting F9. Bum, 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 bum. I got to do the little bum, 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 or I don't feel like I'm doing my job. So. That's why we pay uh, you the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see here. Um, okay. First topic is the immortality of the soul. Second topic is Polybius. Who knows about Polybius? Okay. Third topic is genie and other children raised without language. Number four is the Beast of Gévaudan. Number five is Infernal Name, Melek Taos, or I guess any Infernal Names. And number six is the Death of Ken Rex McElroy. <laughs> I don't like any of those, but that's... I was going to say, maybe pull another one. <laughs> <laughs> maybe pull another one. Or well, we... you got 23... Go ahead. Or we could go back to Smiley Face Killers. Okay, Smiley Face Killers it is. What do you guys know about Smiley Face Killers? I have very minimal knowledge. Uh, I, I, there, there is this horror movie coming out somewhere this year called Smile. Yeah, that was That's awesome. awesome. I haven't that seen it yet. Oh, it's, it's awful. No. Absolutely. I don't know. I'm not going to go with JJ. It's, it's not awful. It's only 0.8 awful. <laughs> So it's awful-ish. It's awful-ish, yeah. And you made a topic out of it. Right. <laughs> but well, anyway, the, the smiley face killer, it is, it is this um, hypothetical group because what will happen is there will be a murder and all of these different locations and then there will be a smiley face painted somewhere and people have come to the weird belief that there must be a group of these people that are working in cahoots with each other and that is their calling sign even though the graffiti is random they do not look alike they share a very common piece of symbology that you find 
everywhere, everywhere. nowadays. But yet, mm-hmm. it has led to this belief and some an utter conviction that there is this group of people out there that are murdering people and leaving their calling card, Joker style. Well, do you remember Val, Val Zavala? Yes. Talking about taking on a case that had been forgotten, a mysterious murder from the past. And his job was to try to, it was like the last thing he wanted to do as a policeman was to find out who had killed a certain person. Well, this isn't so uncommon, I'm finding. There are a lot of long-term police detective kind of people who kind of as a, a, a last effort want to solve some old crime. There are five or six guys like that who've taken on the smiley face killers, and they're convinced that they are dealing with a real phenomenon, not just a, uh, a, a socially developed phenomenon. Good for which, them. Which makes me feel like, look, guys like Val are not easily fooled. You know, they're, 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 they're not. I mean, they have spent their entire life dealing with people lying to them. And they, they learn quickly how to detect these people. So I, I think, JJ, I mean, just from that one piece of evidence, I think there probably is <clears throat> something to it. But the whole idea of these these hidden cabals, these these hidden groups of people doing something horrible. First off, it's a a really powerful fiction idea. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's a really powerful <laughs> fiction idea. A little harder to figure out how it might really work in the real world. Yeah, and but just to be completely honest, I mean, I have zero inside knowledge. I, I, you know, I'm not one of these people that, so I can't speak from any position of authority on it. In fact, my entire, you know, corpus of knowledge on the topic comes from random internet videos that I've seen on it. But at least when it comes to the graffiti, I can say that I have seen several of the examples and if they were in any way, shape, or form uniform, I would say, uh, maybe there's something there, but they're so different and completely random than each other. Um, and the fact that there is just an innate need that drives people to leave any kind of mark, whether it's their name or figuratively upon a place that graffiti is one of the most common things that you have found not just in the present day with the advent of you know spray paint but throughout history i mean one of the most common things is you will find some random name engraved in stone and this is a documented phenomenon that has always been around are there a lot of uh, smileys graffiti in in the US? Oh yeah, oh yeah, a lot of graffiti so, of all kinds but, in the US. Okay, so it could also be a, a stoplight killer. I mean, there's loads of smiley graffiti in the US. Yeah, any anywhere you go, you go to any 
most of these people seem to drown. Is that correct, Bert? I mean, JJ, these are mostly drownings they're, they're talking about. Somebody, it's a, a college kid goes to a bar. You know, a, a, a college fraternity guy goes to a bar, gets drunk with his buddies, leaves, walks down the street. There's some kind of river or stream or something close by. He ends up dead in the river. And then they will find the smiley faces around that area. Hmm. So it's not JJ, just the graffiti. You're also talking a similarity in method. Similarity in method. And the similarity in method is drunk college guys. But drowning. But drowning. Yeah. And JJ's looking very quizzical like I, I'm talking about a different case or something. Or That doesn't ring any bells. Like the... The ones that are flashing through my brain, and I could be conflating the two. I'm not saying I'm not, but the ones I had found were were underneath um, uh, a bridge, and it was just a, a bypass that they had found bodies in random locations. But, yeah, I, I could be wrong. Well, you, 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 you have to be able to distinguish and the relationship and causality um, if they are truly connected to each other. Well, the two people, the, the policemen who were trying to investigate this, they were named Gannon and Duarte. And <clears throat> I'm just going to do Wikipedia for a second. The Smiley Face Murder Theory, also known as the Smiley Face Murder, Smiley Face Killings, and Smiley Face Gang is a theory advanced by retired New York City detectives Kevin Gannon and Anthony Duarte, as well as Dr. Lee Gibson, no, Gilbertson, a criminal justice professor and gang expert at St. Cloud State University. It alleges that 45 young men found dead in bodies of water across several Midwestern American states from the late 1990s to the 2010s did not accidentally drown, as concluded by law enforcement agencies, but were victims of a serial killer or killers. The term smiley face became connected to the alleged murders when it was made public that the police discovered graffiti depicting a smiley face near locations where they think the killer dumped the bodies in at least a dozen of the cases. Gannon wrote a textbook case study on the subject titled Case Studies in Drowning Forensics. The response of law enforcement investigators and other experts has been largely skeptical. <clears throat> so yeah, they were they were drowning. So I'm I'm looking at a site. It's actually on the Rolling Stone, and it talks about cases beyond what Gannon, Duarte, and Gilbertson did, mm -hmm. where they're dealing with young men drownings. They're tying this with with gang, a gang targeting the young men, a specific mm -hmm. gang. And they're giving examples of, uh, there's six different examples of the smiley face here. And they're all slightly different, mm -hmm. right? They're, you know, they're obviously, well, they don't appear to be by the same hand. Well, it's right? not like they have a template or anything. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, you know, there's a smile. Only one of them is, is really different in that it's got a demon head sort of around it with horns. The rest of them are just a smiley face. You know, if you're dealing with something that is spanning a wide area and with different over characteristics over a long period of time you know it makes you wonder about you know murder cults type things 
you know, we're, what was the name of that show? There was a, a, a show that, uh, that Laura and I watched. I only got through about half of the second season because it was just so dark and it had Kevin Bacon in it. And it was, he was the cop or FBI agent who was trying to take down this, this murderer. And this guy, even from prison, developed through letters and, you know, created this network of people who their goal was to murder. And they didn't care if they died in the end. They just wanted to take lives. And, I mean, it was an elaborate conspiracy. But I guess you got to wonder if you get enough people with the Internet and the dark web and other ways to communicate that aren't readily observable. I don't see why you couldn't have people that find each other online in various places that have similar purpose. You know, look, that's the the thing that <clears throat> my brain always trips on. Okay, there are times in my life I'd really like to have people to talk to about something. But I'd like to be talking about microphones or Canon cameras or, you know, how to do proper slow motion video or, all, you know, a hundred other things. I don't want to talk to anybody about how to kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's not, that's not up there in those topics. Yeah, but, but all obviously it takes that's is, not is a message board where one person who is committed to this finds a similar soul right mm -hmm. and then then it becomes recruitment right you think about the episode with uh with Josh where he was talking about the coven that was basically recruiting the him right there at the there at the college they were actively trying to find a new member Right, mm -hmm. and they were scouting out people. Well, you would scout out people online too, and as long as you could do it in a way that, and this is where the dark web would come into play, in a way that they could never truly get back to you. You could deal with the law enforcement elephant element, maybe, and and keep from getting caught. But I don't know. People can can really. Uh... Um, it reminds me, and, and it's perhaps a bit dark this, but it reminds me what happened years ago in, in Germany where two men um, contacted each other on the, on the internet. And uh, one of them really wanted to know how human flesh uh, tasted like and mm. wanted to eat. Mm -hmm. And the other had this perverted idea of, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I want to be, you want know, to be eaten. Yeah. Uh huh. And they met up and, and one man did not survive and the other is, is in prison now. But I think if you have, and that's about relationships, um, it's it's you can push uh, someone over an edge over 
and I think with with the internet, it's 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 easier because you 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 don't see each other. It's uh, it's more anonymous, and and look how we as as uh, an internet faring people treat each other uh, on on um, on these f forums. Oh, horrible! And. and um, so it's 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 actually I think the if we were still living in a small community and I think and we know each other and we we suppress some of our darkest urges perhaps and I think I think we all have dark uh, darkness inside of us There's, somewhere. I, I'm not. What's, what's the term? The shadow. We all have a shadow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, and this internet with the the uh, in in some cases can bring out the worst, the worst in us. And um, I think that and and that well it it. <laughs> it shifts a bit about. Uh, I can imagine that if if you are on the internet, you have these gangs and and uh, anonymous. You're fighting each other on the internet and about perhaps drugs or or weapons or I don't know what. And and that these that this is also a new way of yeah liquidations um, to bring it back to these smiley killers. Well, JJ, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but there is a smiley face killer movie. Oh, gosh. Which, which just seems to me to have your name on it for like a Wednesday night movie night. We should be watching the smiley face killer movie. <laughs> we've we have certainly watched worse. Movies. I mean, so we, why we, not? <laughs> you know, we, we, we definitely need to have that. Look, I know somebody and uh, who has surfed the dark web specifically looking for satanic child abusers who are willing to talk about being satanic child abusers. Hmm. Dave, you know this person too. <laughs> yes. And, and it is and, disturbing how easy it is to make those connections. Correct. He, he talks about just within minutes being able to contact people who at least in that environment are claiming to be satanic child abusers right now are they really my feeling is always that the most of these guys are probably 14 year old virgins in their mother's basement who don't have the guts to even go across the street and get into a fight but not all of them are well when you're when you're talking about the dark web it's another level beyond just going out on facebook or twitter or whatever and trolling right yes it is mm -hmm. you're you're much more motivated to go that far and find your way around it and find your way into groups so i think that weeds out a lot of the teenagers who are just looking for a uh, or getting a rise out of other people or whatever. I, I think you are already in a group that's much more serious. I was, and I, I, I've told this story a number of times, but it's, it's a true story. And it's, 
it, it showed me how vulnerable I am or anybody is. Um, <clears throat> Coral Eugene Watts. Some places call him Coral, C-O-R-A-L. Some places call him Carl. Was a serial killer in Texas. One of these guys who apparently, depending on the story you listen to, killed anywhere from 30 to 160 people. My feeling is that once these guys are caught, they decide, well, I might as well make myself look as badass as I can. So, <laughs> right. you, know, you know, so I didn't kill five people. I killed 320 people. But the day he was caught, he had broken into the apartment above me, above my apartment. And <clears throat> things went south for him. He wasn't able to do the killing he wanted to do. He ended up jumping out of the balcony, going through the window, waking me up because I was working 11 to 7. And they caught him just there in that apartment complex a, a few minutes later. But they are out there. And I've always wondered, gosh, what if you decided you wanted to go to the downstairs apartment instead of the upstairs apartment? Now, I think he was looking for a female, and I wasn't female, but <clears throat> you feel extremely vulnerable when that kind of thing happens. Yes. And, and I can remember a guy that I talked to at... Um, Bert, I did a, a contract with Huntsville Prison, which is north of Houston, and it is where the Texas death row is. That's where they had the worst of the worst. And my job was to stay inside a cage with a policeman there and give medications and talk to people about little minor injuries and things like that that they had. If they had anything worse, we were supposed to call an ambulance and, and get them out of there. But the rule was that you really were just supposed to talk to them about the medication they needed to get. You weren't supposed to engage them with any company, but they would engage you. They, they would just talk to you while you were going along. And I remember this one guy saying, yeah, you know, I'd go around the neighborhoods and I'd just uh, I'd jiggle the doors. I figured that if the door wasn't locked, that was an invitation to come in and do whatever I wanted to do. He, he, so in, in his mind, just the fact that the door was unlocked was enough for him to decide that that was a family that decided they wished to be killed. Which is why you this always is, lock your doors. This is why you always <laughs> lock your doors. <laughs> but he was a, he was a very uh, unhealthy kind of guy. The uh, the episode the the series that I was talking about was the following. So yeah, that's a, the serial killer who kind of is able to get followers from from prison, right? Yes, and I found it extremely disturbing. So if if you if you want a very disturbing dark series, uh -huh. check it out. The acting in it's great. The you know the the series is done well. I just I couldn't keep watching it. It was just too. You know, too painful it was just, or too bad. It it placed so little value on life. Oh, really? Right. I mean, I mean, these people, these people murdered as if it was a game. Oh, OK. And, yeah. you know, it was it was always to put the 
the police officer in the situation where he thought he was going to be able to control it, but in the end he couldn't. And all these people wound up dead. And they just didn't think anything of it, right? It was just part of the game. It was part of the adventure. And so I, I had to, like I say, it was dark. Well, I'm not a, <clears throat> I think the number of human minds that are that nihilistic is pretty small. I certainly Thank hope so. God. <laughs> yes. But, Bert, is there anything that you would find enjoyable to close the show out with? Just anything you've thought about? Because I know you think deeply about things. Um, and I want to know if you've had any paranormal experiences yourself. <laughs> He's told us about one, but it, it's a pretty it's a pretty standard kind of thing. But <laughs> well, um, for, uh, I've told you the one uh, with with um, with JJ, I think, uh, and to you, Victor, and well. <clears throat> And I don't know if this is really paranormal, but I, I had this deja, period that I had a lot of deja vus. And they say, of course, um, that it is because how your brain processes um, memory. Mm -hmm. um, but <laughs> my experience, yeah, that's an N is one. Uh, but my experience um, is is I had this déjà vu, and I was I was I was dressing. I was somewhere in, in it was I was in the jungle in, in Ecuador at that time, and you um, were in the jungle in Ecuador. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. And I had I had this feeling of déjà vu, and I I thought, well, if I turn my head now I because I was lacing my shoes or something if I turn around and look I will I will see this man looking at me and I did just that and it was well it was as it as if I had already seen it and that happened a few times uh, during my life and it was completely random were, um, were you in the jungle as a as a tourist, as a doctor, what? Why were you as there? A, as a tourist. Okay. Uh huh. Yes. Uh, it was. Um, well, that's a pretty fascinating place to be, anyway. Yes. And it's not like that particular déjà vu gave you any life-changing information. No, pretty pretty mundane kind of situation. Yeah, and 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 that's actually with with the deja vu food I had. They they are completely random and could be about everything. Not nothing life changing. Well, I, I does I don't think that makes it any less important. I don't either. I mean, I, I don't think it makes it any less important. I I think I. I've read a lot of different ideas about deja vu. One is that there are periods of time when you're, the two hemispheres of the brain get out of sync a little bit. Okay, and left hemisphere has 
already experienced this and processed it, processed it, and right hemisphere is lagging mm -hmm. behind by a few milliseconds or whatever. And then when right hemisphere realizes that that oh I'm processing this, left hemisphere says, Hey, I've already done this. You know, sorry you're behind. Mm -hmm. And that that that's part of the feeling of of deja vu. And I I can see mm -hmm. that happening. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, human bodies are messy, squishy, smelly. Um, okay, well, let's take that one, though, before you go to the next one. So in mm -hmm. your situation, Bert, you felt like there was going to be somebody behind you staring at you or looking at you. Yes. How long do you figure it was before you turned around? You had that feeling. You turned yes. around. Are we talking two or three seconds? Did you pause for like 10 seconds and think about it and turn around? Because that has to be more than milliseconds, right? Yes, it, it was oh, yeah, more than yeah. milliseconds. And that and that makes it that a deja vu, um, the idea that uh, out of sync and, mm -hmm. and memory planting, yes, it could be possible, but not if I first had to turn around and then I saw the picture then turn around and see the picture that mm -hmm. that does not make sense you see what i find fascinating about this bird is look i i don't i don't place this in the category of being meaningless i think there's a great deal of meaning to these kind of experiences i don't know what that meaning is but i think probably most people have these kind of experiences throughout their lives oh i've had them and 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 they they just, for some reason, decide that's not particularly important. I don't need to worry about that. And I understand that because it's it's hard to figure out exactly what's happening. It's hard to figure out what the utility of it is. But but still, I think that is probably one of the more common ways that people encounter what one might call the paranormal. And and I've had them for when I was younger. I had them much more frequently. Uh, and and some of them were long lasting. Like we're not talking a thirty second period. Like you know minutes of of something. What I'm going through is something that I have been through before. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe up to fifteen twenty minutes. I, 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 it, when they were happening more frequently, they seemed to get longer and longer as they happened. And you have to wonder if it is is tied in some way with the idea of synchronicities, right? Where people experience things that aren't things that they've been through before, but that are the exact perfect thing to happen at that moment to get you uh, like the the likelihood of things coming together like that are so unlikely. Uh, whether it is um, an event that is, you know, well, if these three or four things didn't happen, I would have stepped out and gotten hit by that bus. Or whether it's something, <laughs> uh, you know, you're on a spiritual journey and then all of a sudden certain things start popping up into your life that, perfectly match that journey you're on uh, and there are times where you have synchronicities where you're like you you get a feeling where it was meant to happen uh, 
Like this is this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing right now. I can feel it. It's not as much a, a deja vu, but it's a feeling of rightness with that hmm. moment. And you kind of wonder if it's all kind of related. Well, I, I love it when I have a feeling of deja vu. Me too. I, I mean, I mean, to me, it's a, it's just kind of a little uh, frisson of excitement. <laughs> you know? of, of, and, I, and I try to focus on it. Why am I feeling this right at this moment? And the truth is, it doesn't happen to me very much. But when it does, I get a real kick out of it. It doesn't happen to me at all now. But when I was a kid, it would come in two different varieties. I would either have dreamt something in black and white. And then when it happened, I knew that I had dreamed about it. Or it would be something, and it never lasted long. It was only ever a few seconds in length. But that same feeling of deja vu would hit me moment to moment to moment to moment. And they could be years apart from each other. And yet I would recall the previous moment I had deja vu around the same thing. And, yeah, it, it was always very eerie to me. So I have two comments on that. The first one is, given your dreams, it's terrifying for me to think that something in your dreams came real. <laughs> oh, these were very tame and mundane actions. I think okay. the worst Not one <laughs> was is that like, and whenever I dreamed about myself, it was always in this idealized image of myself rather than how I actually look. But okay, what what is the idealized JJ? I mean six seven jet black hair. No, no, I mean James Bond Bill. These were all when I was a kid, but uh skinny blonde haired kid. Okay. Was the idealized version. And I was born with when I was born I had blonde hair. So which then turned black over the years as I got older. But yeah, for some reason, I still pictured myself as blonde in these dreams. And the worst one that ever happened was falling into a giant planter that had a huge cactus plant in it. That's right. That's right. You told us about I this remember one. that. Mm -hmm. So the second comment, but, is, go ahead, Bert. Did you have a? No. no. Well, the second comment is you're talking about this moment where you you experience a deja vu and you immediately remember the last time you experienced a deja vu so they're sort of tied together right am i describing that accurately? I, I did a bad job in explaining it it would be for example let's say that i was looking across the field to my great aunt's house and the, and it was nighttime and i would see a light on in their window which was a common occurrence and I would think, and I feel in a deja vu hit. And if I was doing the same thing again, uh, even a few years later, that I would have the same, it would be the same action I was doing. And then it would spark that same feeling of deja vu. And this happened over and over and over again, not bound by time, but rather by the same or similar action. And when you 
would experience it, would you then remember that you had experienced oh, the yeah. deja vu like, part of it before? Oh, yeah. I'd be like, oh, this is like the 20th time I've had this feeling of deja vu around the same exact thing. Okay, so that's what I wanted to ask about, because it reminds me of, you know, we've talked about dreams. We did an episode on uh, ending the curse about dreams. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned when, when I'm falling asleep, right before I fall asleep, as my brain sort of calms down, I start remembering the dreams I had the night before. Or I'll remember previous dreams that I've had and scenarios where I was in. And it's like my brain reaches a, I don't know if it is a brain wave or a chemical balance or what, but it's its like it reaches a point where, oh, I can remember dreams now. And so I can look back at my catalog of dreams and see things about them. I'm in that mental state. That's an awesome thing to be able to do. Oh, God, yeah, I'm it's, glad it's I don't cool. have that ability. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You also have the, the, the ability to to, uh, to to lucid dreaming. I wish. Can you do that, Bart? Can you lucid dream? I, I've had some uh, lucid dreams, yes. I don't yes. think I've and they, were, they were And they were awesome. And because it was, um, for example, and it, I was dreaming about uh, looking in the mirror, and I realized I'm I'm dreaming. This is a dream, and I was near a window, and I was curious how detailed is this dream of mine. Oh, so <laughs> so I went to the window and looked at the window sill. And I saw the wood and and where where it touched the glass and uh, there there were a bit of mold and the details wow. it was amazing. Now, did you change any of it? Have you been able to lucid dream the, where you change what's happening? No, the, hide what's happening. Um, once I had there what there was a flying lucid flying dream that I'm That'd be even cooler. I'm, yeah. <laughs> And but unfortunately, I think when I'm lucid dreaming, I'm also I think nearing the stage in which I wake up. Mm -hmm. oh. So I'm um, so the lucid dreams that I have are are not that that long, unfortunately. Bert, I will hear people say things like, "I mean, I, there are two things I'd like to talk about quickly." And I know people probably want to go, but I'd like to talk about these things. When I go to sleep, I love the process of going to sleep. Okay. I, I, I don't particularly care about being asleep, but that process of going to sleep. Once my body relaxes and once I'm, you know, kind of on that downward slide, I hear a cacophony of voices in my head. And this has always been the case. I'll, I'll hear like commercials I heard that day, radio songs, conversations I had a month before, voices that I have no idea who they are or what they are. But there'll just be this, it's like I'm standing in a room where all these people are talking around me and I'm trying to pick out snippets of conversation between them. And <clears throat> Dylan Thomas talked, talks about it. And there's a, he wrote a book called, a, or a poem called A Child's Christmas in Wales. 
And what he's talking about is the voices I sometimes hear in my head right before I go to sleep. So obviously I'm not the only person who has that happen. But but, but I think Bert can probably schedule an appointment for you <laughs> to deal with those voices in your head, Vic. It's, it's, uh, it's okay. I don't want them to go away. I would be very sad if they went away. It, it, it's, it's a truly entertaining thing to, to hear these voices. If you know any thoughts about that or well <laughs> you can say it's weird it's okay we do all the time I know weird. <laughs> well it's falling asleep i can relate to that not that i'm hearing voices when i'm falling asleep the, the sometimes songs yes yeah, and yeah. uh but it is like floating on on, uh, on when you're lying on your bed floating in the sea you're you're being carried by yes it's and your mind freeze uh, freeze itself from the mundane perhaps and and let's go let uh it lets itself go let's itself like a, wonder yes well, like a like a ship and then it floats into the sea of dreams i don't know what i i mean I, it's not like i can say the voices are saying anything brilliant it's not like somebody's telling me you know the answer to the mystery of Fermat's last theorem is no it's nothing like that no. it, it, it it's it it's just things like um have you had your uh wheaties today and <laughs> Do you ever ask them questions? <laughs> no, I never do. Okay. I just, it, it's just, it's just listening. It really is just entertainment. It's yeah. Just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to lie here and just listen to whatever these voices have to say. And what is the next phase in, in your falling asleep? Being asleep. Okay. There's nothing. Yeah. It's no, just, it, you hear the voices hear, and, and drift voice. away. I generally go to sleep very quickly. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky in that, in that I bet you sometimes, it's less than a minute, <laughs> you know, when I, you know, head hits the pillow to a sleep, probably less than a minute most nights. If you're like me, that probably has something to do with staying up until three or <laughs> two or three o'clock yeah, in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> but now, the other thing that I hear people talk about, and I, I guess these are sleep study experts who say that, look, human dreams only last a few seconds. You know, the actual brain activity of having that dream is real short, just yeah, just a few seconds, even though it feels like days, and that's a, hours, whatever. And that's the perception of time, and, and mm -hmm. it, that amazes me as well. And I was relating this as to the to to what JJ tells told us about his dreams, and then later on, this becomes reality. Not the dream, perhaps, or perhaps it's a vision from that reality. I don't know how it works, but I don't know how time works in this case. We perceive well, our lives as being we're being linear. Your your guest card. If you don't know how time works, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because I, you know, I've had lots of sleep problems in the past. Um, you know, for for health reasons. And so, you know, so I've worn a a uh, a watch for a long time that 
you know, now I've got an Apple Watch, but I've worn a, a Fitbit. I've worn all kinds of different, you know, tracker type watches that track sleep patterns. And I, I know there's, I don't know how, they've gotten more accurate over time. I don't know how accurate they are 100%, but, you know, I'd always heard that, you know, the sleep, the dreams are when you're in that REM state, when you're in that deep sleep. But I know I have dreams when I'm in much lighter states of sleep, according to both the, the watch and, and also according to my own experiences, knowing that I never really got into a deep sleep. I was asleep for right. a short period of time. Like some of my most intense dreams are I've woken up once, like I wake up to, to get my wife up. She goes to work, you know, so at six o'clock, 5.30, I'm getting up and waking her up. I'm up for 20, 30 minutes, and then I go back to sleep. And, and I'll go right into dreaming. Yeah. And, you know, I know I'm not back down into that deep, deep sleep yet. And so I wonder how accurate the brain waves to dream correlation is in terms of those thoughts and what phase of sleep you are in the, the brain activity. Can remember this one sleep study that I had. It was, I mean, it's insane. You know, they've got the EEG leads on you. They've got EKG leads on you. They've got GSR meters on you. They've got oxygen sensors. You, you know, you're just, you're just, you have wires in every part of your body and cameras on you. And it's like, okay, just go to sleep like regular. Yeah. <laughs> Easy task for you. Easy task One minute. For you. But, well, gentlemen, I believe this has been a good rundown. I've enjoyed it. It's um, 6.13, so I think it's probably about time to let people go get dinner. Anybody have any closing thoughts? It was tremendous fun to uh, have joined you. That's been <laughs> an great honor. having you here. I'm so glad an honor you having came you, on, Having you with us. It, it really has. I'm, I'm really glad you came on. And um, All right, guys, I'm going to end this. And if anybody needs anything, let me know. I sure do appreciate everybody's time. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bert. Yeah. Thank you very much, you Bert. Bye, all. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Hello. This is Avalon Lee and Dankworth Smythe. I apologize for the lack of real-time Gang of Nerds error correction during this episode of the Paranormal Rundown. You see, I was concerned that they might feel emasculated, so I decided to let their myriad, and often amusing, errors slide for episode 16. Don't worry, I'll do double duty during episode 17, when I can be fairly certain their fragile male egos will have adequately recovered. We received a very pleasing review on Apple Podcasts from a listener called Chess1937. His review reads, If you like listening to four guys from completely different backgrounds, all with integrity and self-reflection, rolling some digital dice to decide which of the 1600 plus topics, historical, philosophical, psychological, cryptozoological, religious, and many, many more, they are going to discuss in detail, and taking some scenic routes on the way to and from it. This is the podcast for you. Thank you Chess1937. The gang of nerds is flattered and humbled by your words. 
But by now the gang of nerds is at 2,360 topics with several dozen more pending. The Paranormal Rundown is a joint production of Father Michael Birdsong, Dave Griffith, Vic Hermanson, and J.J. Johnson. From henceforth, by Avalon Lee executive decision, they will be known collectively as Gang of Nerds Media. The music used in this podcast is from Lobo Loco and Smart Sound. Any media clips the Gang of Nerds used in the podcast fall under the protection of the Fair Use Doctrine. Please take the time to rate and review the Paranormal Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. If you would like to contact the Gang of Nerds directly, and I know you would, please write to them at feedback at paranormalrundown.com. Either of these simple actions will grant you lifetime immunity from being directly visited by me in your dreams. If not, most people recover from that visitation. Most, that is. See, we told you Dr. Burt was a poetic soul.